0: I'm Josh Liston from On The Bubble Podcast, an oral history of television fandom, part of the Gunner Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows at gunnergeeknetwork.com. This is the official gunnergeek.com show. Each week we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Stephen... Chris and SP.
1: Welcome to an all new episode of your favorite podcast that is titled the official Gunning of geek show. I am Steven and with me of course is Chris Farrell. Roll tide. Also we've got SP.
2: I've got a good news bad news good news scenario tonight the good news is we've got josh liston back with on the bubble podcast if you did not pick up that pre-roll the get a geek pre-roll josh liston has entered into what he's calling a season two i guess we'll just go with what he's calling it on the bubble podcast and both steven and i appeared in season one chris did you appear in season one i did not but that's well, probably for the best
1: i was gonna say you always save the best for later and so that's what i'm sure it's okay. gonna happen at some point
2: The bad news is that (laughs) I ordered a gift for the holidays way back, you know, in late November. It shipped on December 6th, December 26th. It made its way to Detroit, and it's been there ever since. And this is January 11th.
1: Well, so my dad sent me something that was to tinker with over Christmas. It was uh, a Zigbee hub that was supposed to be flashed. And anyways, so he sent that to me. In early December. And then the shipping date, he noticed, ended up changing from Amazon after it shipped to January as an ETA. And he shipped himself one at the same time. And he got his. And uh, mine has been sitting in Vancouver since December 21st. So it's the same situation. It's He it has arrived there, and it hasn't done anything since the, the December 21st. Just
3: going to drive down and go pick it up? <laughs> Meet some
1: superheroes while you're there? Yeah.
2: Well, my good news is that Chris has told me that he is getting ready to ship the Xbox Series X to me tomorrow. (gasps) So I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. Well,
3: yeah, I'm totally on it. (laughs) You know, once once you PayPal me a grand, I'll send it to you. (laughs) No, it was
2: a gift. It was a gift. You're going to send it to me as a gift. Mm.
3: No, he said he was going to send you a gift of an Xbox. Yeah, I'll make you a gift. (laughs) I've got this real cool app for making gifts on my laptop now. So I've been making a bunch of those. I'll make you a gift of it. Is it a Mac? OS. It is a Mac OS app, all right, yes, all right, all right. called Clacket.
2: He's going Apple. He's going full-blown Apple here. And he
3: says, as I'm podcasting for
2: Windows machine, I
3: have a Windows machine on my left, and then I have a Windows machine on
2: my other side on my left. It all starts yeah. with an M1 MacBook Air.
3: And it's my editing machine right now, because mm. it's faster than any of my other machines.
2: <laughs> Point.
1: All right, well, let's go ahead and roll into the news. Roll Tide. Okay, so fun fact. Y- you know this. I've known SP for a while, right, Chris? It's been a while since I've known him, and you've known him. Correct. Almost the same amount of time as well, if not longer. I learned something new about SP this past weekend, and I I think it's going to blow your mind. He's really into space things. And so (gasps) I know he's even got a news article that he's going to talk about that's space related this week. So I'm shocking. You're in shock. Let's turn it over Mm -hmm. to SP and learn about this new side of SP.
2: Well, this weekend, I definitely went down the rabbit hole. Chris often talks about going down the rabbit hole and different things. This weekend, I went far down the rabbit hole. I just got suckered into it, and I started learning as much as I could about the state of SpaceX's Starship program. Today is January 11th, 2021. I say this because this is going to change, and this is going to change really fast. So by the time this podcast actually gets produced and is released, no Uh, nothing against Steven. It's just the things are going to change that fast. So we're going to go with what the status of thing or status of things are for SpaceX down in Boca Chica today. And we're going to talk about what's going to change rapidly starting tomorrow, potentially starting tomorrow. So I, the, the three main things that I looked at, one was this beautiful, uh, drive-around tour that Boca Chica Gal, those that are in the know those that has been following this, she goes by, Mary is her real name, but she goes by Boca Chica Gal on, on all the social media, Twitter predominantly. She lives down in that area, and then she has filmed a bunch of stuff. Well, she took a driving tour around the SpaceX compound, which was great. There was a lot of articles out there about the status of the different Starship prototypes as well. As there is FAA notums or notice to airmen about potential tests and just all, a bunch of stuff happening. So let's go down the rabbit hole with me. Bear with me. This is going to be a little bit fun today. There's a lot going on. So first and foremost is that the Starship prototype SN9 has continued its rapid progression to its test flight. That's going to mirror SN8's flight. So on January 6th, 2021, last week, SN9's three engines were fired for about one second. I mean, if you take a look at the video, it's about 1.5, maybe two seconds, but it was really brief. It was just a, and then they went off. So they tested things, things are working great there. And then yesterday, as I was saying, Boca Chica gal, Mary drove around the complex down at Boca Chica. And I'm just saying Boca Chica because I like saying Boca Chica. I
3: think we need to get a counter for Boca Chicas one day. Just be- ding, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. every be gonna
2: geek drinking game, but I would caution mm. you that you might get alcohol poisoning here.
3: I, I play with apple juice.
2: Well, I you know what it, whatever floats your boat, right? You don't have to have alcohol anyway. The current status of SN9, which was out there on its launch pad, basically SN10. SN11, SN15, as well as the orbital launch pad construction, the repaired Starship landing pad that SN8 had its rapid on-plan disassembly or RUD landing into it. Uh, that was all shown, it was really neat. I know, did either you two guys because I posted this in several places, did you either you two guys get a chance to look at that tour?
3: No, I haven't yet.
2: <sighs> now, it does take 20 minutes. It's, it's a driving tour around the perimeter. So it takes a while, but it's in 4K. It's pretty stable. Uh, It's basically, you know, she's driving and it looks like she's holding her phone or camera or whatever out the window as she's driving around. And then people are going around her. Luckily, nobody hits her or anything, but you get to see. And I don't know how much longer you're going to be able to do this because there's privacy fence that's starting to go up around part of the compound. But there is a lot to the compound. Like I said, orbital launch pad. For those of you that don't know where Boca Chica is, if you have a map of Texas and on the very south pointy end of Texas, where it's on the Gulf side there, it's as f- south as you can get in Texas. That is where Boca Chica is. And from a launch standpoint in Texas, that's the best place that you can be. First of all, you're going to launch the east, so you're going to go over the Gulf. You're going to be as far south as you can get, which is an advantage when you're launching because you want to be as close to the equator as possible to take advantage of every single ounce of Delta V that the earth is giving you. So it's not down at the equator, but it's as far south as you can get in Texas. And it is just ready and primed to go. So they're going to be launching this from Boca Chica, Texas. That is great. And they are constructing this huge, you see these huge pillars where the starship is actually going to be on top and they're getting ready probably for the main stage of it bn one as it's being called. And there is a little bit of bn one being stacked, but you didn't really see it in this tour. So there's a lot going on SN9, SN11, SN10. They're all boom, boom, boom. They're going to be going. And there are different stages of construction for SN12, but What the speculation is, depending on the success of 9, 10, 11, they might go straight to 15, which is a complete design change. So we might skip 12, 13, and 14 and just go to 15. You can see why as the tour goes around.
1: So they're going to take the uh, Windows structure where they just skip over version numbers. Is that what it is? I mean, yeah. Better (laughs) than
2: the
3: Mac version. We're on version 10 for 20 years.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Aren't they on X?
3: They're on 11 now. Oh,
1: well then. Yeah.
2: Is it 11 or XI?
3: I think it's 11.
2: Okay. It's either 11 or 12.
3: I can't remember what Big Sur is, but they they are no longer on the X naming convention, which is neither here nor there. X going to give it to you though. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> so getting back to SpaceX here, what is the difference between SN8 and SN9? What is going to enable this to be a success? Chris yeah, asked I, I, I know. <laughs> The
3: difference is one. (laughs) One rocket.
2: (laughs) Elon Musk posted in a tweet on December 31st that, quote, SN9 will press CH4 header tank with helium. Long term solution is under debate. Not clear what is lightest slash simplest. In the meantime, this temporary solution for the methane tank should prevent the issue of the pressure loss, which resulted in the SN8-RUD event during its historic flight last year. And as of this recording, the first available date for an SN9 launch would be tomorrow, the 12th of January, 2021. We'll get into that in a second. However, SN8 processed a series of four rocket engine test firings before its flight, and to date, SN9 has only had the one. So we don't know if we're going to have three more tests of the rocket engines or they're just going to light it and go. I don't know what's going to happen here. Regardless, all eyes are on SpaceX's Boca Chica facilities for a potential test flight later this week. Now, I said to get into the potential times. There are currently three temporary FAA flight restrictions filed with the FAA around Boca Chica. The first is on Tuesday, the 12th of January, 2021 the reason for the NOTAM or the Notice to Airmen is, quote, to provide a safe environment for rocket launch and recovery pursuant to 14 CFR Section 91, unquote. On Wednesday, the 13th of January, 2021, there is a reason to NOTAM, quote, to provide a safe environment for rocket launch and recovery pursuant to 14 CFR Section 91, unquote. And on Thursday, the 14th of January, 2021, there is a reason for notum quote, to provide a safe environment for rocket launch and recovery pursuant to 14 CFR section 91, unquote. Guys, I think there's something that's going to be going on. Now, they could cancel this depending on how they're going, but they have to file these notums in advance. So right now they have three potential launch windows. There's actually times in those windows. There's three potential launch windows starting tomorrow going to Wednesday and going to Thursday. And here's the bottom line there. If there's one thing that we know from SpaceX is that no matter what happens, it's going to be an entertaining site. It's going to be a sight to behold. It's gonna be fun to watch. There's gonna be a lot of live streaming. And later on, there's going to be a lot of fantastic video and photography that come out because everybody's eyes are on Boca Chica, Texas right now.
3: Suncast is going to be watching with bated breath because this is how he gets his next supply shipment, I heard.
1: <laughs> this is crazy. Uh, lots, of, lots of rapid things happening. And uh, all I got to say is, I wonder if we'll get a signal about the different launches. Ah, that was a tie into Elon's tweet about anti WhatsApp. That's what that was.
2: Talking about signals, if you want to see the telemetry that the launch site gets from the rockets as they're going through the test flight and potential launches, there's some big antennas that are on the site that Boca Chica Gal actually sees as you go towards the one end of the whole site. So you can see how the rockets are going to communicate back and forth with the ground. And how they're getting all that telemetry you know the video that we're seeing on board the rocket yeah, it's actually beamed mm-hmm. somewhere well, it's being beamed to these big antennas that are down there so if you want to see it, we'll make sure that we link the uh, the YouTube I think it's a NASA spaceflight now that Mary uh, sells her videos off to, but it was it was just a 20 minute there was no audio other than the cars and the wind and it was highlighted with title text along the way it was it was very well done just for the 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 four-year aspect of seeing what's going on down there. And it's amazing how fast things are going. See construction all over the place. You see these high bays. You see these temporary tents where they're assembling the tanks or the, excuse me, the nose cones. And those temporary tents will probably, they're huge by the way, and they'll probably be going away and buildings be made there. So yeah, uh, lots of stuff going down in SpaceX right now. It's incredible the amount of, Things that happen in the time that it's been happening, and it's just going to get faster and faster.
1: All right. And I think this is the question that everybody's wondering is what is the official SP prediction for explosion count? What's your prediction on that?
2: <laughs> I don't think SN9 is going to explode. I think they're going to fix the tank pressurization issue just to see if the landing gear is going to work and the landing systems, because we saw everything work up to the point where it just hit a little hard. They just want to fix that part of the flight. But in order to fix it long term, there's going to be a permanent tank fix and they just don't have it yet. So my assessment is they're probably going to lose a couple more along the way here, but I don't think SN9 they're going to lose. I think they're going to stick the landing on this one. Besides, you know, there's only so much concrete that you want to, or into that landing site before you have to tear it up and start all over again. So probably (laughs) want to prevent that.
1: All right. Well, thanks for keeping us informed on this. This is, uh, I have to say, I think that the last like six to 12 months has really been the most sort of rapid changes that we've seen as you've been covering the space stuff on the Guinea Geek show over the last, I don't know how long we've been doing this, 10 years, 15 years.
2: It's been really fast. And don't forget, NASA's got the SLS and the Orion development going on, but it's not as rapid. And Boeing also has the uh, the other capsule, the Starliner that's going up to the ISS. That's going to ferry people back and forth up to the ISS. SpaceX has just eclipsed everybody. Now, if SpaceX would have continually had catastrophic failures with the final end result, then things would have been a little differently. But they've been able to... Just take their knocks as they go, know that they're going to blow some stuff up. But when it really counts, they haven't messed up yet. So we'll see if that continues. I I know there's a lot of safety considerations going on in the industry. uh, People that work for other places going, I don't know if I want to work for SpaceX because of the safety stuff. But they haven't messed up anything important. They lost millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars in, in rockets, but they haven't blown up anything important yet.
1: You know, overall, I think so far you could say that their progress has been a success, unlike Google Stadia. And let's talk a little bit about Google Stadia, because it looks like today, LG has announced that they are going to be bringing to their TVs both Google Stadia native support and NVIDIA GeForce Now. So both of these are streaming gaming services, if you're not familiar with them. Uh, and You're going to be seeing this coming to the LG TVs, of course, in the 2021 models, but going to also cover some 2020 models as well. This is really interesting to me because for a while, we've seen a lot of these televisions run basically off of an Android uh, TV type platform. That's essentially what they've been built on. And now I think we're seeing the fruits of that labor because you are seeing built-in support for a couple of services. Now, Google Stadia, obviously, Chris has done his review on here. He has put me to shame quite thoroughly on not reviewing Google Stadia. But I think that I could agree with his review is that Stadia is less than desirable. So to me, the more interesting aspect of this isn't Google Stadia itself, is the fact that the TVs have enough hardware in there to be able to support the Google Stadia uh, requirements right, right baked in, but also the GeForce Now thing. So we'll see what happens with this. It could end up being really, really poor quality or, you know, really unstable. But I like the fact that we're seeing some of this gaming streaming coming in. Maybe it gives hopes that one day the TV will natively support Google or uh, Google, uh, Microsoft X Cloud or something like that.
3: Here's the thing to remember, though. The Stadia clients on your devices, be it your NVIDIA Shield, if you put it on there, you have to sideload to do it, but your LG WebOS TV or any of these other things, the client doesn't really need a lot of horsepower because all the work is done in the cloud. It's basically just pushing a video down to you. So while it's cool that they got Google Stadia working on LG's WebOS TVs, I think we're overstating just what that means because it's just opening a website effectively and then pairing a controller via Bluetooth or if you have their fancy controller like is sitting behind me, connecting it to your Wi-Fi back to the server. So yes, it's cool. But at the same time, all of these cloud-based streaming services, because I play with GeForce now also, it's a dumb client on your end and all the work's done in the cloud. So it's neat, but yeah.
1: So bottom line... This isn't gonna get you to go all in on Stadia. Uh,
3: no, but <laughs> it, I have enjoyed the Stadia argument with the Atari VCS, where people were like, "My Atari VCS plays Cyberpunk because what? they're playing on a Google Stadia." Yeah, you know? oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, okay. Actually, speaking of Google Stadia, we should first go and say, hey, if you're thinking about commenting on our YouTube video that you've played, you this angle has been played about Google Stadia. Don't do it. We'll just no, troll, an- troll you back. The
3: angle is when we pretend like we don't know what it is. Oh. I purposely, I purposely didn't go. Well, it's Google Stadia this time? But I mean, maybe next time. It feels. <laughs> it depends on how froggy I'm feeling. <laughs>
2: Got a question for you, Chris? All right. Can you play your Google Stadia on your MacBook Air M1? Yeah.
3: yeah. Just go to stadia.google.com on any PC-like plat, any computer platform, or like. PC is the term I want to use, but that's not necessarily right because Mac OS is different. But if you have a a personal computing device of some kind, you can go to stadia.google.com in the browser. I think it doesn't work with iPad currently, but it will work with Mac OS, Chrome OS, Windows, Linux, all through that URL. Yeah, I mean, so in that regard, it's pretty cool. And they've got the dedicated app for Android phones and things like that. It's just it definitely needed more time to bake and And that's effectively probably what they're doing with this app on the LG TVs is basically opening stadia.google.com and putting some custom stuff in there to make sure that your controller or your TV remote works properly to be able to select games and stuff like that. So I don't want to seem like I'm poo-pooing the effort, but at the same time, I don't think it's as difficult as a lot of people are thinking, because it's not like you're putting the guts of an Xbox or something in an LG TV. You're running an app that connects to a web server.
2: So if you put your Stadia in the oven and bake it three and a half hours at 350 degrees, then it will be ready to go?
3: I mean, it's it's possible. <laughs> Do not If you want not. me to go for the troll answer, it couldn't get much worse, but I don't think that's fair to say. <laughs> uh, th- that's me going for the troll answer. So that's not fair. Google Stadia, I think, has matured a lot in the last year. I think there is the beginnings of something that could be impressive there. It was arguably the second most stable way to play cyberpunk 2077 because they had an optimized version for stadia and people reported they weren't having issues running it on stadia on whatever devices they were using locally be it a chromebook laptop uh, chromecast things like that so i think it's promising the question is though in the day and age we're in everyone is rolling out a cloud-based gaming service amazon's in it microsoft's in it sony's in it a nintendo will probably get into it at some point in time w- what's the differentiator for someone to make like, oh my god I have to go with Google because, and here maybe I am taking a shot a little bit. We've seen Google abandon things when it doesn't look like they're going to work very well or it just has lasted long enough they don't want to maintain it anymore, i.e. Google Reader. And maybe I'm being a bit overly harsh in that. So when it comes to brand loyalty, I don't know that I would have it to Google Stadia if I was going to make that my primary consideration for gaming because I'd always have that little voice in the back of my head oh, if more people don't subscribe, Google's going to kill this service. And then what do you do with all this hardware and all these games you've bought?
1: Well, bottom line again, uh, I think you're going to buy an LG TV because it sounds like you sure turned there and you you, you gave Stadia credit. And I think that's why you're going to buy an LG TV.
3: Well, in all seriousness, they do have some of the nicer OLED TVs on the market. They do. And they do have uh, the CX series, I think it is, is HDMI 2.1 which would be great for my Xbox Series X because mm. I could do 4K, 120 hertz gaming. But as it is now, I can only do 60 hertz. And then there's also the problem of that I run everything through a receiver. My receiver doesn't support that. And the receivers that do support HDMI 2.1 are pretty buggy right now. So I have no reason to upgrade yet, not even for Google Stadia. So you have I no it. reason
2: not to send it in the mail to me tomorrow, Xbox <laughs> Series X.
3: I'll send you an Xbox.
1: Okay. Uh, a box that has the X written on it, right?
3: It's going to be a little box about this big, this big around. It's got a rock in it that I paint black with an X drawn on it.
1: Ah, a rock is a lot tamer than I thought you would put inside.
3: What did you think I was going to put
1: inside? Never Not mind. talking about that. Never <laughs> mind. We're a family friendly <laughs> show. We can't talk about what
3: I'm going to put in there.
1: All right, let's talk about the next news article before we get to SP Space (laughs) Symposium. This is really interesting that this finally was confirmed. And ironically, it will not be (laughs) family-friendly, despite my just talking about that. So if you aren't aware,
3: Kevin Feige, who is the the creative genius, well, he basically runs all the Marvel Studios stuff right now. So Kevin Feige is doing the press tour right now for WandaVision, and he's been asked a bunch of questions. You can go read a bunch of different articles for things he's asked about Spider-Man, things like that. But the thing that jumped out most to me is he was doing an interview with Collider where they asked about the uh, future of Deadpool in the MCU and what they plan to do with it. And we'd heard a while back there was a writing team that was uh, signed up to do Deadpool. We hadn't heard anything about a release date or much extra information. So he told Collider an interview, quote, regarding Deadpool, quote, it'll be rated R and we are working on a script right now and Ryan's overseeing a script right now. It will be it will not be filming this year. Ryan is a very busy, very successful actor. We've got a number of things we've already announced, but we have to make it that we now have to make, but it's exciting to have it begin again, a very different type of character in the MCU. And Ryan is a force of nature, which is just awesome to see him bring that character to life. Note, he said very different character in the MCU. So he's confirmed it's rated R, exists in the MCU, so I'm sure we're going to get some kind of gags about how this feels like a different universe or something like that. And they can get away with it because they own the rights to all of that 20th century Fox stuff. So whatever canon arguments people want to have as to how this will fit into canon, it doesn't matter because it's Deadpool. So they'll make a joke out of it and we'll all move on and continue about our merry way. Or they'll use Dr. Strange's multiverse of madness to make it all merge together somehow is my guess. But I'm really excited on those two notes, rated R. It's going to be in the MCU, and then we've heard before that Wendy Molyneux and Lizzie Molyneux Laughlin of Bob's Burgers are overseeing it with Ryan Reynolds helping assist on the script and things like that. So it sounds like they've got a really good team put in place, and they're trying to recapture the magic that this two-movie series so far had at 20th Century Fox.
2: I wonder if Josh Brolin will be playing Thanos or the other character that he's played in Deadpool.
3: I mean, they made a reference to Thanos, I think, didn't they? And, K- and Deadpool 2. It's been a while since I rewatched it. Yeah, it I was just... I thought they did a wink and a nod, so it'd be cool if they did.
2: It was just a reference, but I mean, Cable is such an intricate character in all of the X-Men. He, he really is, if you read the comics and stuff like that, that I think that Disney is going to need to bring that character forward, and Josh played that character. Josh also played Thanos in Endgame and Infinity War and and before. So I don't know what you do. You got the same actor now that's two big characters that are both owned by Disney.
3: Storyline-wise, it will be interesting to see what they do to kind of explain away things like Cable and the X-Men and things like that because they haven't planted seeds in the MCU for that yet. So is it a matter of somehow Deadpool finds himself on our Earth because we've sort of established that there is a multiverse? So somehow he gets stuck on our Earth from whatever his Earth was. I don't know what they're going to do there because this will be interesting because like I mentioned, we don't know anything about the X-Men plans and maybe they can use this to sort of plant the seeds to see what may be coming with X-Men down the road. I don't know. We're still probably like two years, three years out from this movie actually happening between Ryan Reynolds' busy schedule, the pandemic, and Marvel's pretty full slate of movies where this hasn't been announced yet with an official release date.
2: Yeah, Ryan's going to be busy this year filming The Proposal 2 and 3 back to back.
3: Are they doing this for real? Because I I don't doubt anything anymore when it comes to movies.
2: Yes, I was making a joke. There's okay. Yeah, how do you do the proposal two and three after? I mean, it's it's one shot proposal. And they got married.
3: Maybe, maybe he gets widowed between each movie, and
2: it's a new uh, new lady each time. <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think you kick Sandra Bullock to the side though.
3: Well, I said widowed, not divorced. <sighs> Deadpool comes in and kills his wife, and they tie it into the MCU. I. See that? Deadpool like killed Ryan Reynolds already. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You, you know I am really excited for this. Uh, believe it or not, I've not actually seen Deadpool two. two. Uh, I I keep meaning to, Oops, but I just yeah, you. It's all good. No, I've read a lot about it, but I, I still am really excited about it. Uh, me not seeing Deadpool two is just pure laziness. Like I, I was excited to see it. Um, one thing I'm really interested to see though is the eventual distribution of it with the whole Disney Plus thing and things like that because
2: and where they're going to park it
1: where are they going to park it internationally all of those questions
2: there's been talk well in the United States there's been talk of a uh, premiere level of Disney Plus there's also been talk of sliding it into Hulu which they own the majority stake in so there's different things that they could do for distribution but I don't know what the definitive plan is today. They probably think they have a definitive plan because eventually you're going to have to distribute R-rated stuff with Disney. I mean, it's just going to be a fact of life. They're not going to be able to stay away from it because they do have a few R-rated movies. Yeah, they babies.
1: don't have Miramax anymore to sneak their yeah. R-rated movies yeah. out under. <laughs> and the reason I'm, ex- I'm interested about this is because it's part of the MCU. It's one thing if you're like, Hey, here, you can go find your Fox properties former over in this corner. You find your MCU stuff on Disney Plus. But now you're like, well, you can find most of your Disney Plus stuff or most of your MCU stuff on Disney Plus. But you got to go over here for the other, right? So I don't know. It's just interesting if all of a sudden the MCU ends up fractured.
2: I, yeah, they've been successful so far with the Spider-Man franchise, which is still owned by Sony. And they've been successful into bridging those. Ga- I, I will say they've been successful. Who knows of the future, but so far they've been pretty successful with Tom Holland and Tom Holland himself bridged the gap and basically told Sony that, no, and it worked. So thank you very much, Tom. <laughs> uh-huh. But, but I don't know how long you can keep all those threads going. Remember, the Netflix Defender series was technically part of the MCU, except for it was never really shown back and forth. And that was fractured just by the fact of Disney bought all the rights up and, and Netflix canceled everything. I mean, there's talk of Charlie Cox, who played Dead, or Deadpool, who played Daredevil. Coming into uh, the Spider-Man movies, which is Sony. I mean, it's such a roundabout it's, way.
3: It's about to get even more confusing as there's rumors that they're talking about trying to bring Kristen Ritter onto the She-Hulk series, presumably as Jessica Jones. Well, uh, so, yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense it's going to get me. interesting. Yeah, no, it's yeah. just going to get interesting as they figure out what threads they want to pull from those Netflix shows and carry forward. My assumption is those characters will all exist in some way, shape, or form, and they'll kind of just reference vaguely something that may have happened there, and that'll be the extent of it, much like it was before. But for yes, our sir.
2: for our listeners that might not know, Jessica Jones and She-Hulk are basically friends in, in the comics and stuff. So it makes sense to bring them together in the show.
1: And the other thing, though, I think is it's one thing if you're dealing with a bat catalog that's fractured because of rights back then. Because remember, Disney Plus didn't exist then. But now you've got your own property that you're creating, your own film under the universe And you want to fracture the distribution that that's sort of the element to me, because you're never unless they buy up all of the rights to all of the stuff that's ever been done. You're never going to have that in a nice little package.
3: So I think this is enough years down the pipe that we're overanalyzing what's going to happen at this point in time, because let's let's say charitably we're three years out from this Mm -hmm. movie actually premiering. Then you've got at least another six to nine months before it would hit the streaming service. So we're talking almost four years before this problem happens. And the landscape is probably going to change, be it Disney buys out Hulu, Disney takes all their stuff out of Hulu and decides, okay, we're going to have two different types of Disney Plus, one that is locked down all the kid-friendly stuff and one that has all of our content. Any A lot of things could change between now and then. So while I agree with you, if they are following this current model, let's say four years from now when they're ready to put this on streaming, I think they'd have a problem. My guess is it's going to evolve, especially as Disney Plus continues to be such a moneymaker for them.
1: That's fair. That is a while away.
2: The fun part for me is 2013 SP wouldn't have a clue at how mind bending this conversation is in (laughs) 2021. And after that many years of podcasting on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., I I actually can partake in discussions like this that make sense because (laughs) I've been podcasting about it for eight years.
1: Well, I look forward to finding out what cameos you both end up with in Deadpool 3, because I heard that you were going to make that happen somehow. Yeah, Kevin Feige loves me.
2: It's behind a mask, and we both end up dead.
1: <laughs> I
3: staple a Hugh Jackman mask over top of my face under the mask to copy Deadpool. All
1: right, well, let's go ahead and move on to SP's Space Symposium.
2: This is exciting. Last time I went through the Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, and that was a fun segment to do for me because of my small part in the whole thing at the very end. This week is kind of exciting, too. I don't know if you guys had the whole Mark Twain, Haley's Comet thing when you were growing up, because I'm older than you guys are. But did, did you guys have that, that sort of shadow over everything when you were growing up between Haley's Comet and uh, Mark Twain? Did, did you guys? No. Okay, so I am way older than you guys. So, when I was growing up, because Haley's Comet whipped back around, I believe it's every 76 years, it whipped back around it was 86 years, anyway. It it whipped back around in 1985, 86, and we had a chance to go see it. Now, we, the United States, did not go and see it right away. The Soviets did, and a lot of other people did, too. Ended up doing it as well, but the Soviets were the first. So we're going to talk about the Soviet probes to go see Halley's Comet. They were called Vega 1 and Vega 2, but they also went to go see Venus along the way. And in the spirit of Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, they did a gravity assist around Venus to get them to go to see Halley's Comet. Now, Vega 1 and Vega 2 were pretty much identical. They launched just days apart from each other in December 1984 just six days apart and they were they had landers but I'm not going to talk about the landers to Venus because that's going to be a whole different segment of space symposium stuff but since they both were the first to go see Halley's Comet I wanted to talk about them right now because we're talking about uh, orbital or probes in orbital satellites and probes in this segment of space symposium. So I'm not going to be talking about the lander or the balloons that they left at Venus to do some science there. Those descent modules we covered at a later date, uh, probably in a couple of years. So Vega one and Vega two, they both weighed uh, about 4,920 pounds a piece. Or if you're, you know, Steven it's 10,850 kilograms, which if you're counting at home, is a very 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 light Tesla Cybertruck, and I yes. say that because it's about <laughs> eighty pounds lighter than a Cybertruck. So you just take I don't know what whatever's eighty pounds on board that thing, and you take it out, and then you get a Cybertruck.
1: Can I just say I'm so glad you brought it back? It's been a while. Thank you. Well,
2: you know, we used to talk about a different truck, but no, I'm I'm talking about the uh, Tesla Cybertruck. It's because we're the-
1: very progressive here
3: when it comes to our uh, vehicle selections.
2: It's the oh, hopes that Elon Musk will finally listen to me and say, hey, SP, you deserve a Cybertruck.
1: I think that you're legally obligated to say an alleged Cybertruck because we haven't seen a production unit yet. Is it a Cybertruck 2077? Because you might have problems then.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well done.
2: So the Vegas one and two, or Vega one and two probes, they were designed in Babakin Space Center, which was a design bureau back then. The way the Soviets did things is they had a design bureau, they had a production bureau, and then they had a different thing that, or a different bureau center, whatever, that would operate it. And in this case, it had two operators, whereas in the United States, you have JPL do the entire thing. They could design it, they could have it built, they could um, operate it and decommission it all in one. Uh, but it was constructed by the Lavochkin, which is in Kimchi, I believe, in the Soviet Union. And then it was operated by an operations center that was in the Crimea at the time. But during the flybys, it was transferred to the Space Research Institute in Moscow. So this thing traded hands along the way. And then sadly, after it was done, it could have still been used it still had power left, kind of like we're doing with Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 right now. But they just decommissioned it and just let it go because they were on to some other things. Now, it was launched by a Proton rocket. The launch dates were December 15th, 1984, and December 21st, 1984. And they were b- both launched from the Soviet launch site, which is at Baikonur. It had both of these probes since they were identical. And remember, we talked about the process of if you have one shot to do things in the early days of space exploration we often sent two probes two identical probes because you didn't know if something was going to go wrong with manufacturing or the launch along the way or something might happen in flight so if you had one shot to do things you did two probes which is one of the reasons why we had voyager 1 and voyager 2 we talked about all the other probes that were in the past as well well they did the same thing here and there was just a list of detectors spectrometers, analyzers that they had on board that were specifically designed to actually see the comet. And they actually had a television camera as well, tried to take television pictures. There is a famous event that happened there. So we realized in the 1970s that we're going to have this opportunity to see a Halley's Comet. And the United States was focused on the outer planets. The Soviet Union decided to focus on the inner planets take a loop around Venus and go see Halley's Comet, which was the first comet that we ever went as a human race to go see. And it was a, a pretty standard fare for Soviets. Now there's not a ton of information out there. I searched for a while. I searched for a couple of weeks actually to try to find as much information as I could about these two missions. And just because of the secretive nature of the Soviet Union, especially in the 1980s, which was one of the heights of the cold war, it just wasn't a lot, not a ton of information out there. Now the spacecraft looked like a typical Soviet style spacecraft where you got a big bulb on the front. You got a rocket body underneath or a, not a rocket body, but like a satellite bus underneath. And you got two huge panels that are out to the side. It also had a shield on it because it was going to get close to the comet. So it didn't want to get hit by anything that was being, cause that's what comets do. They, they, they vent stuff into space and they just didn't want to lose the probes to that venting so it had shields on board to protect the sensitive instruments from getting a direct hit at least so they launched and then in June of 1985 June 11th and 15th is when it's had it, both of them had the closest approach to Venus and they dropped the uh descent modules which we'll talk about at a later date but June 15th or June 11th was just a few weeks before back to the future in 1985 was in theaters because that was july 3rd 1985 so these probes great scott yeah basically just a couple of weeks they hit venus before that oh by the way goonies premiered right before they got to venus on june 7th 1985 yes like goonies i've never seen it we were talking about josh brolin
1: yeah i've never seen it either i have to say Oh, you you need to see a little
2: Josh Brolin in that. If you like Thanos, you're going to like little Josh Brolin and Goonies. So you fast forward another year into 1986, and March 6th and 8th is when the probes had their closest encounter with Halley's Comet. Now, to put that in movie terms of timeline, Highlander premiered on March 7th, 1986. There can be only one, Sean Connery. You guys seen Highlander?
3: I remember I've seen the TV show more than I think I've seen of the movie series
2: again I'm old all right thanks (laughs) thanks for making me feel that way I mean Uh, it was
3: 1986 SPI was two. I can't really go see Highlander
2: I keep forgetting you're that much younger than me (laughs) (laughs) you you actually put a shock to my system when you said you were two (laughs) in 1986 I'm like I'm in college man (sighs) All right. But so, I, I didn't
3: go to the movies that I remember until 1989, and that was to go see Batman. And my mom wasn't happy about that,
2: from what I recall. Right, so <laughs> I, I see these movie analogies fail, but they're going to get better. because But as we I get, like them. They're good. Yeah. The, the movie analogies are going to be a bit better as we go along with the probes, because the dates will get more into the line of when you actually remember going to the theater, or maybe you possibly go. did go to the theater, or maybe you scammed some things off of HBO on a free weekend. I don't know.
3: Cinemax, thank you. Cinemax. (laughs) Cinemax or (laughs) Skinemax, right? Well, I'll plead the fifth right now.
2: (laughs) Yeah, okay. So what we're talking about here in March of 1986, Vega 1 approached Halley's Comet and it turned on its camera. And for the first time in the history of mankind, the nucleus of a comet, in this particular case, Halley's Comet, unveiled itself to the human eye. So it was our first really close look at a comet with Vegas one and Vega two. Now, this was a truly international thing, which is, I mean, with the Soviet Union, it it was a big thing back then. Oh, yeah, we're working with everyone sort of thing. And they really are because you take a look at the collaborating institutions. It's a large paragraph of nonstop. Boom, 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 boom. It's a lot of. Um. Eastern Bloc universities and Russian universities. There's some French universities in there as well. Germany universities, Polish universities, but there is a bunch of collaboration that happened here. And the ESA did send a probe to Haley's comment a couple of weeks later, and they were able to use the data from Vega one and Vega two to make a pretty cool approach as well. So they were taking care of Halley's Comet at a collaborative base, kind of like we're doing with Mars right now. Even though uh, nations are sending their individual probes, the data is shared internationally. Uh, so some of the scientific findings from Halley's Comet was we found out it actually had two nucleuses. It, it had two big parts of it. There were When it took a spectrometer reading, you saw two dark patches of it. So it wasn't just one ball. It was actually two balls. and The theoretical basis for that is just over time, it eroded to the point where we think it's going to break up in the next pass or two, basically. Uh, The nucleus was measured at a temperature of 300-400K, which for those of you that don't get a scale of that, it's much warmer than is expected from an ice body in space. So the conclusion was the comet had a thin layer of ice on its surface which covered an icy body, a thin layer of, not ice, but a thin layer of rock, which is covering ice below it. So the rock actually kept things warm, kind of like a cooler, where on the outside it's warmer, but on the inside it's cooler, to use the scientific term there, yeah. And, and uh, that was something that was found out just by being able to get that much closer because the telescopes that we had back in the 80s weren't able to get that precise measurements as you were getting close to it. Now, Vega One got within eight thousand, almost nine thousand kilometers, just under nine thousand kilometers, from Haley's comet, and then a couple of days later, Vega Two did. Now, Vega Two returned similar data, but the images came back with better clarity because it approached closer, because it was about a thousand kilometers closer. So it didn't really discover anything new. It was just clearer images that it was able to achieve from it, and that kind of harpens back to the Saturn approach for Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. Remember when Voyager 2 went by Saturn, they said that if they didn't get the right data from that, that Voyager 1 would end up going uh, a, a certain path and not be able to go through the rest of the solar system, actually uh, change that. Voyager 2 went through the rest of the solar system based on Voyager 1's approach of Saturn and the successful data of Saturn. So, Kind of the similar thing here. It was just on a smaller scale because they only saw two bodies out there instead of the entire outer solar system. So this was pretty successful. It was kind of low tech, basically, in the end of things. And the probes didn't last long. They're still out there. They're still in a heliocentric orbit around the sun, but they haven't been turned on since this approach in Shortly after they got all the data in 1986, the, the, the Soviets turned it off. And that might have been a sign of the times where they just didn't have the money to keep things going. I, I could definitely see that uh, where communism was on the precipice of failing back then in 1986. So I, I can't blame them. But at the other hand, wow, what, what a missed opportunity to take some additional readings because you had two healthy spacecraft out there. Anyway, uh, so that's basically the high points of Vega 1 and Vega 2. Uh, Vega got its name because if you take a look at the the names of uh, the the Russian names for Venus in Haley's comments, it started with V E and G A, so it became Vega in English. That's how the probes got their name. So
3: damn, I assumed it was Street Fighter Two Turbo. <laughs>
2: you never know. If I mean, if they were playing it in no, 1984,
3: I mean, no joke. If the games exist, that's sometimes been the impetus for naming of other craft and things like that. Remember, we did have Bodie McBoatface also. So gaming yes. convention is weird.
2: Yeah, had the Sir Attenborough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's not the Sir Attenborough. It's Bodie McBoatface. If I am on a, <laughs> if I am on a sailboat, which I've talked about doing at some point in time in my life, and I come up with, you know, close to approach to the Attenborough, I'm calling it, hey, Bodie McBoatface. Yeah, gonna, as you should. They will not answer me, but I will call them that <laughs> on the radio. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, thank you for sharing this with us. Uh, You mentioned you had to to Google and there is, you know, not a ton of information out there compared to some of the other things you've talked about. But you are assuming that it's something to do with the whole, you know, USSR thing. Uh, Let me just speculate that maybe they were the first to follow the golden rule of what happens in Vega stays in Vega.
2: I'm not gonna put them back put it past them either because <laughs> scientists can be funny guys, ironic, sarcastic, but funny. Yeah,
1: yeah. Chris, uh, you disagree? The way, Silence. <laughs>
2: yeah, just got that the head. I hate the, my life. <laughs> hand butt over the head going on there. So next time we're gonna be talking about Magellan. Uh, you might have heard about Magellan. It was a big probe. It went to Venus, but it was launched out of the space shuttle. We talked about some telescopes that were launched out of the space shuttle before, but this will be the first probe that we talked about that was launched out of the space shuttle. And that uh, was launched in May 1989. So five years after the Vega probes were launched, We're, we're moving up in the timeline there. And the next one will be Galileo. The next one after that will be Ulysses. So we're marching down the path here, but I'm excited to talk about the next three in particular. And then we get to when we bomb Mars. So there's some exciting stuff coming up.
1: Are you Magellan?
2: I am not Magellan. No, I am Stargate.
1: All right. Well, thank you again for talking about that. Uh, I legitimately enjoy this segment every time because I know pieces of space history and always wish to know more, but I'm too lazy to research more. So thank you.
2: That's why I did this, because I knew this was a lack of your (laughs) education in the Canadian education system. And I just wanted to give you that breadth of, you know, science and education and technology background that we know that in igloos, you you guys just worry about staying warm and catching fish.
1: You're expecting me to argue with this, but I agree that when I went through the system, I believe that there was problems with the Canadian system. For example, I had to learn a lot of American history. So that's going to go ahead and wrap us up for this show here. (laughs) Yeah, I said it. Uh, We're going to go ahead and promote a couple podcasts because it's been a couple weeks because the last couple episodes ran a little long and I had to cut off the usual promotion time. And I want to take a moment here to talk about what we've all been up to uh, in the last little while as far as our other podcasts go. Let's start it off with you, Chris Farrell, because you guys only took one week over on All Things Good and Dirty, right? That's true. We did only take one week off and it was
3: the second or third, I guess it was. So we ran up until Christmas weekend, then took a week off because we didn't want to take two weeks off because that's no fun. I mean, really, it was just because we wanted a week off. I'll be honest. So we took a week off and we continued our geeky shenanigans and we came back this week to kind of recap some of the things we got into over the holidays. And pretty much it comes down to we played a bunch of video games and Willie got a crab game.
1: Oh, a crab game. Very different mm-hmm. than that sentence usually starts.
3: Yes. And <laughs> if you want, I have the animated GIFs of Willie with Crab Fingers so we can <laughs> circulate around the internet from the show last week. That's why you watch the pre-show, because you see the funny stuff.
1: Can you put them in our Discord over at com slash Discord? Sure. Perfect. Uh, also, you had a couple of guests, didn't you, over the last, like, month?
3: Uh oh nope. well, yeah we did have we did have a couple guests over the past couple months okay maybe
1: that's what i'm thinking of. it's
3: been it's been a while though that was mostly back in november oh. early november december was a blur for me sorry no me too no <laughs> no problem i had to stop and think i was like did we i'm pretty sure we just did the normal fair because we couldn't handle guests because we were too <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh is there anything else that you'd like to plug or promote uh,
3: don't forget, we got a bunch of live content here on the Gunna Geek Network. Head on over to geeks.live, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and you can see a calendar of all of our upcoming live events. Please feel free to come check out some of those other shows
2: and tell them that we sent you.
1: How are you, SP? What's going on over on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. lately?
2: We're going to pivot. This week we are going to record our final episode of Daredevil, and then next week, actually just a couple of days, because we're going to move our recording time from Thursday night's To Sunday afternoon and I believe it's at 4 p.m. Eastern. It's either at 4 or 5. I'll get back to everybody next time. But WandaVision comes out this Friday. First two episodes are going to drop so we're going to talk about those on Sunday. We're going to roll right into WandaVision. It's going to be fun. Heard a lot of promising things as Chris was alluding to before about WandaVision. So we got that and then we discovered that there's only one week in between WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We're going to go ahead and take that one week and talk all of Punisher Season 2 in one episode. That's uh, which, a big episode. Which means that I'm going to have to watch whatever it is, 12 or 13 episodes of Punisher, and we're just going to crunch that into one. <laughs> Michelle's not worried about it because she's been watching it. She's like, yeah, we can talk about this in one episode. I, we were talking about doing it in two episodes, and then she started watching it like, yeah, we could watch it in one episode. So that's what we're going to do. And we're going to watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Then we're going to start to finish off the Netflix Defenders verse following that with uh, Jessica Jones season three. That will be the end of Netflix for us. And then we'll pivot and move on to whatever else Disney Plus throws our way.
1: Because when is um whatever it's called, the Falcon Winter Soldier? When is that coming out?
2: That is coming out March 15th, March. Okay. I believe.
1: All right. So, I so, thought it was a little later than that. so that that's actually sooner than I thought we did
2: too. And then Michelle started doing a calendar and discovered that there was just one week between it, which I think is wise for Disney Plus because now that they have been out for a while and all the freebies are going in, and then, like Chris, he's done that three year deal for two years pricing and stuff like that, they're gonna have to start to show some value. So you're going to see some shows that pop up plus they got to move the MCU along and We've got Black Widow that is still stated to come out <laughs> later this spring, but I don't know. We'll see with, with COVID the way it is. I mean, um, shots are coming out. Uh, so we'll see if they start to open up movie theaters. And I don't know if they, we, we won't talk about the pandemic and, and possibilities, but when it applies to the MCU, it, the timing of things where we're we're talking about the summer is a little different than DC because DC has decided eh, we're going to release everything on HBO Max, but they yeah. have other uh, you know other motives there, try to hook you into that HBO Max subscription.
3: Yeah, and Feige did say it's kind of a moving target the Black Widow release date right now because of the pandemic. In these interviews he's been doing for
2: Wandavision, so it's a they're
3: shooting for May. It may or may not happen. No pun intended.
2: <laughs> yeah, may, May's a little early, I think, with the rollout of, of the vaccines mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But they could do they could do a one one and done with uh, Black Widow and say, Yeah, we're we're going to do the same thing that DC does, and we're going to do that same thing with Black Widow, but only Black Widow because we're really close to opening everything up. I don't know. We'll we'll see. It's a moving target, and I'm not going to speculate as to where exactly things are going to be in May.
1: Over on Better Podcasting, uh, we've got the live show kicking back off tomorrow. We're recording this today on January 11th, 2021. If you didn't know this, uh, SP and I do alternate back and forth. Uh, One week we do the Better Podcasting main show. The other week is just a a live Q&A sort of thing. Uh, If you want to check that out, there are multiple audio feeds because some people just prefer one over the other. And we'd love it if you would come by any of the live recordings that are happening on any of our podcasts, because we love the interaction here when we record this show on Gonna Geek. Uh, We love it on Better Podcasting, especially on the live chat Q&A, because we like to pull your feedback right there. And I know that Chris loves it when everybody supports him on how terrible the Sony controller is compared to the Xbox controller over on all things
3: good and nerdy. (laughs) Boy, did I get crucified for
1: that opinion. <laughs> yeah,
3: it wasn't even that strong. It was, I just prefer that controller over the
2: Sony one.
1: It was Ooh. It was amusing. I was watching live. <laughs> Ooh,
2: I hear Sony's going to send you a PS5 as soon as you send me your Xbox Series
1: X. <laughs> <laughs> looks
3: like I'm not getting a PS5. <laughs> we call that the Willie Nelson
1: approach. <laughs> so for episode number 361 of the official GunnaGeek.com show, I'm saying check out Gunna Geek! dot com and welcome back on the bubble podcast welcome josh and roll damn tide
2: we'll see everybody next time and hopefully we'll be talking about spacex's sn9 Bye.
1: Bye. bye